Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. How are we doing? How's everybody doing? I think in the... Thanks. Yeah, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you're doing well. Uh, I think in the email I sent out last week, I mentioned something about putting on your Christmas sweater and coming to church. I really hope you didn't put on a sweater today. Uh, it is a little bit warm, and so uh, if you pass out, we, I can't handle it. So take that sweater off um, and, and cool down, all right? Uh, also, hey, there are people in this room who aren't normally in this room. If you're normally in kids' church or out in the children's ministry hall, can you just raise your hand? Can I just see who you guys are? I know I know a lot of you, but it's good to see your faces. It's good to see your faces. Listen, I need your help today. I need your help. Uh, I need you to help me keep your parents attentive to the sermon. Can you help me with that? Uh, they will be distracted by a good many things, and I want you to make sure that their phones are away. Maybe, maybe do this. Help me do this. Can you maybe take some notes yourself so that, so that, after this is all done, and you get to go home, and you get to eat lunch, or whatever you're about to do next, you can quiz your parents and test them to see if they heard anything that we talked about this morning. Can you do that for me? Uh, thank you. Yes, the enthusiasm is much appreciated. Thank you very much. I'm so glad you guys are in here. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get to our text this morning. Father, we do thank you for your grace to us as we conclude another year, as we look forward to another one. We know that all of it is by your mercy. It's by your grace that we live and move and have our being. But not only that, it's by your grace and your mercy that you have seen fit to give us life and to keep us alive, to give us new life if we are in Christ. I pray that you would strengthen us this morning for the work of your kingdom. I pray that you would help us to hear from your word to be encouraged by it and strengthened by it. And we, we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 5 through 13. Before we open the text, where we read it, I, I just want to maybe uh, prime the pump here a little bit. There, there are a few things more frustrating and annoying than, uh, than being on the receiving end of somebody who thinks they have authority, but doesn't have authority, right? Amen. There are some things that, just, that are just not more, fr it doesn't get much more frustrating than that. Let me give you an example, and I feel like this is pertinent uh, and relevant to this time of year. So the, the North Columbus uh, Park Crossing, the, little, the strip mall, right? Whatever you guys call it. Uh, it it has these weird stop, these weird intersections. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, it, it looks like it would be a three-way stop, but it is not. Let me say it again. It looks like it would be a three-way stop, but it, in fact, is not. Most of those intersections are, in truth, two-way stops at most. But that doesn't stop several citizens of our beloved city from feeling as though in those intersections they need to direct traffic by stopping where there is no stop sign so that they can tell you 
to hurry it up and move along so that the intersection gets cleared out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Please tell me you guys are on the same page with me and that I'm not revealing something new to you, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Thank you. I should have, okay, so let's pretend, no. Um, it's so incredibly frustrating because you know that they should be going, that they should keep traffic flowing, but they don't. They instead want you to move as though it's your fault that we're all now stuck here in the middle of an intersection when nobody wants to be here anyway. Or, okay, anyway, sorry, there's, there's just few things more frustrating than that. Maybe if you had to you know, rank them, right a close second would be uh, the person who does, in fact, have some authority to, to tell you what to do, let's say, but, but they take it way too far. The, the, the authority goes straight to their head and they, they start telling you what to do in spheres that they don't actually have any authority in, right? The, the Barney Fifes of the world who just, everywhere they look, they're, they're ready to bring justice and, and, and to execute orders swiftly and, and it just doesn't matter uh, what authority they really have. They're gonna use what authority they do have to, to make things happen. Um, there are, of course, situations where people use authority and abuse their authority. Maybe it's legitimate authority that they have, but they, they misuse it, they misapply it, they misplace it. Authority is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. But when the right person wields it, it can be a great source of blessing. Authority is a powerful thing when rightly wielded. In our text today, a centurion approaches Jesus with an urgent request. His servant is suffering from some sort of paralysis, and he comes to Jesus seeking his help. Now, before we read the text, just a few things to note. A centurion, what, what is that? What's a centurion? A centurion is a Roman soldier responsible for a hundred other Roman soldiers. Centurions would know all about authority. They, they're under authority, but then they're also over roughly 100 men in authority themselves. And this is obvious, but it's important to remember, um, Roman centurions, they're not Jews. These are, these are Gentiles. These aren't believers. Uh, these, are, these are Gentile pagan people. So let me read our text today, Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Let's, let's pause here. The centurion comes to Jesus. He has this request. His servant is paralyzed in tremendous pain and suffering. And he makes this request of the Lord, and Jesus' response seems normal enough. He says, okay, great, let me, let me come to you. Let me come to your house. But the, the, the centurion rejects this offer that Jesus gives, which is so counterintuitive. You would think he would say, yes, please, can you use my chariot and get here faster? But instead, he says, no, 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 don't worry about coming to my house. He says, I am not worthy. I'm unworthy. You don't need to come into my home because as a, as a Gentile, as a non-Jew, 
your presence in my home, you don't need that. You don't need that on yourself. I'm unworthy. He, he, he rejects it for that reason, but then he also appeals to something, which, which helps to undergird his argument why Jesus doesn't need to come to his house. He says, essentially, you have authority. You have authority. You don't need to come to my home. You can still do whatever you will to do because you have power. You have might. You have authority to do as you please. Let's keep going, picking up in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. He said to those around him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So Jesus he recognizes the centurion's faith and marvels at it. He hails it as something particularly notable for a few reasons, some of which we, we kind of imply is implied in the text. One, one being that he's a Gentile. We've established this. But Jesus remarks how this Gentile has a faith that is unlike anything he has seen, especially over against in comparison to the faith of what Jesus calls the sons of the kingdom, which is like a it's an expression, it's a phrase to describe the Jews of the day. This Roman pagan centurion approaches Jesus with a request that would seem to be impossible to fulfill without Jesus actually going to his home, but he rejects this because of his own unworthiness, knowing that Jesus has all power to do as he pleases. And Jesus marvels because it is a faith that he has not seen among the people of God. This, the faith that this centurion has. We get a sense that this centurion comprehends something about Jesus, about who he is and what he's come to do that most of the people around them just simply don't see. They don't understand. They're not perceiving it rightly. So Jesus heals the servant instantly and, might we add, from a great distance away. He, he fulfills what the the centurion had requested of him. I have two points for us this morning. The first point is this. Jesus has divine authority. He has divine authority. Kids, that means Jesus is in charge of everything. And he's in charge of everything because God said so. Is that a sufficient answer, right? When your parents say it's because I said so, it doesn't work as much. But when God says so, he really does say so. And he is absolutely right. And Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. This, is, this story is focused primarily on the faith of the centurion. But it's a faith that's rooted in the authority of Jesus. His faith is oriented around, it's looking towards the authority that Jesus has. And that's really what I want us to think about right now. The centurion rejects Jesus' offer to visit his home. And he's able to do this because he is so confident in who Jesus is and the authority that he has. And, and let's, let's just be honest here. Let's think about the authority this centurion thinks that Jesus must have. His, his servant is paralyzed. 
But the centurion knows, he is confident, this isn't naive, he, he is absolutely certain that Jesus has authority over the human body, he has authority over time and space, he has authority over all of creation. And, and that we know is true because scripture tells us just the same thing, that Jesus has authority over all things. If you turn with me to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, in John's gospel, he tells us this authority that Jesus has. In the beginning, John says, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When Jesus entered the world in his incarnation, he, he, he brought with him all the authority of heaven. He had authority over all people, all places. He has authority over darkness itself as a light shining without it being able to be snuffed out in any way. Jesus is the maker of all things. Nothing was made without his effort, without his work to accomplish it. And so he has authority. He's in charge of everything that we see. He has authority over every ruler. He has authority over every kingdom that ever has been, ever will be. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, Verses 19 through 21, Paul explains to this church in Ephesus why he's writing to them. And he says that he wants them to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. What kind of power? According to the working of his great might that he worked in, in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus has authority over every rule, authority, power, dominion. Colossians 2.10 tells us that we, his people, have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Jesus has divine authority. And what's more amazing still is that he uses this authority in accordance with his will. He does whatever he pleases. If you look uh, earlier in Matthew chapter 8, uh, just before this story we're reading right now, Jesus coming down from uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, he meets a leprous man who approaches Jesus and he, he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, he reaches out, he touches him, and he says, and this is important, he says, I will be clean. And we think about the authority that Jesus has, but we need to remember that, that his authority is so great and is such a blessing to us because it's also coupled with his will. Jesus chooses to wield his authority in ways that bless his creatures and ways that bless his people. And that, that, that is incredibly good news. I mean, think about it. If, if Jesus had authority, but he had no will to accomplish what his authority deemed him worthy to accomplish, we would live in it'd be, it'd be utter chaos. 
If Jesus had the authority to do what he wanted, but he couldn't actually do whatever he wanted, we, it would be terrifying because he, he wouldn't be in control of everything. If Jesus had the will, but he didn't have the authority to accomplish it, we, we would likewise be in a similarly terrifying situation. But authority with will means that there is order, and it means then that Jesus, the author of life, can give life as he pleases. He can restore life as he pleases. Jesus' authority is as effective and as good for us as his posture towards us is. So if you look at, at Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we find out that, that the Lord works all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Jesus' purpose, his will, in conjunction with his authority to do all that he pleases, is, is the basis of the gospel. That Jesus would, despite our unworthiness and sin and failure, that, that he would, in fact, choose to redeem and renew us for himself is possible because he has both the authority to do it and the will, the desire to do that. He is pleased to serve and to care for his creatures. He is pleased to serve and care for those who have even been rebels against him. Maybe, maybe this doesn't fit your experience. Maybe you're thinking, well, if Jesus is omnipotent, if he can do all that he pleases, why do bad things still happen to me, to people that I know? What's, what's it matter really for us to establish that Jesus has authority? His authority hasn't always mattered a whole lot in my life. Maybe, maybe that's what you're thinking. I want to tell you that, that Jesus, he may not always be the only word in a situation, but he is always the final word. And that's what we mean when we talk about his authority. It's not to say that, that bad things don't happen even to good people. It's not to say that Jesus is out of control when, when things go awry, that Jesus is somehow unaware. But it is to say that, that Jesus has the authority to now or later make things right, to bring justice. Jesus gives orders he makes decisions, he enforces obedience, and he executes justice. That is, that is who Jesus is. That is the authority that he has. There is nothing good or bad that happens to you, in fact, without his knowledge. There's nothing you can't bring before him because it's too big or too much for him to handle. Are you paralyzed by disobedience? Are you paralyzed by, maybe maybe better word biblically, are you dead in your own sin? Are you overwhelmed by the insurmountable pressure to please God perfectly? These things are not too big for Jesus' authority to, to overcome. Maybe you think more highly of your own might and of your own wisdom or maybe that of somebody else 
than you do of Jesus' authority. Kids uh, in this room, what are, what are you worried about? What are you afraid of? What are the things that, that you think about at night and you go, man, I really hope that never, ever, 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 ever happens. I don't know how I would uh, be able to manage that. Is it something you've done that nobody else knows about? Maybe it's, and I'm just talking to kids now, by the way. Maybe it's something that you're afraid you might do. Just talking to kids. Uh, maybe it's something that's happened to you or something you're afraid will happen to you. Listen, listen to me. Jesus is in charge. There is nothing, there's not one thing that you can't bring to him. There's not one thing that you can't bring to him because Jesus has divine authority. As I was preparing this sermon, I, I, I was thinking a lot about um, just the nature of indwelling sin. And, and the nature of ongoing, maybe, maybe there's a sin that you are dealing with, that you are constantly dealing with, and it seems like you're never not going to be wrestling with it. And, and this, what I'm about to say, is not a universal thing for every situation, I realize, but I do want to think about this. I want you to think about this. Is it possible that, that you have maybe fooled yourself into thinking that you have entrusted your sin and your temptations to the Lord? when in fact you still hold on to these things because deep down inside you still think that whatever sin you struggle with and face has more authority in your life than Jesus. I think one way, one way that you might be able to discern the answer to that question is this, is is the only person that you have confessed your sin to Jesus. I, I don't mean you need to confess your sins to more than Jesus and that that's how we are forgiven. What I do mean is this. It's possible for us to think we have dealt with something in our minds without really actually bringing our sin to light. And as long as we want to keep sin in the dark, it shows that sin has the ultimate authority in our lives and not the Lord. That's not the point of the sermon. It's just something that I think about, though, when I think about the authority of Jesus. Because you may be sitting there thinking, I've brought this to the Lord before and nothing has come of it. But you need to ask yourself, have you, do, you, do you really truly see Jesus as the final authority over whatever it is that you're dealing with? Because if so, then we shouldn't be afraid to expose our sin to the light because it doesn't have the authority and power in our lives that Jesus himself does. Right? Jesus has divine authority. Point number two, we should therefore be humble and confident. Humble and confident. Because Jesus has divine authority, we should be humble. Now, this world values strength, it values resourcefulness, it values power, it values might. But this is, this is all a mirage for people who are really just dead in their sin, right? Right? 
It's, it's just kind of a pitiful little mirage that, we, that we've created for ourselves. Jesus, though, he comes to us, and, and, and even this centurion, it's, it's, we see it here. Jesus says, no, own it. Own your weakness. Own, acknowledge your sin, your insufficiency, and yield yourself to me. Jesus says, humble yourself before me. The gospel beckons us to humble ourselves before him, to acknowledge our sin and frailty, and to allow his authority to take over. How often, though, do we double down on our own self-justification as though Jesus owes us something? Well, no, but see, I've, but see, okay, it's not as bad as you think. Or actually, I've done this, though, to deal with that, and so now you can hear my prayer, and so here we go. No, Jesus doesn't owe us anything. He owns us, right? He created us. And if you are his disciple, then you are also his servant. God's people then are called to be humble. The truth is that Jesus' authority, his authority is stronger than your uncleanness and your sin. And so if you acknowledge your sin, Jesus is the only one, in fact, who is equipped to deal with it. And so acknowledging our sin then makes actually all the sense in the world, whereas hiding it, hiding our weakness, trying to obscure these things about ourselves is really very incredibly counterproductive towards the hope that we have in Christ. Acknowledge your sin. See if Christ won't bend heaven and earth to justify you himself. The greatness of the gospel is this, that by dying, we live, and by exposing our unworthiness, we actually are made worthy. That's the gospel. And it is so counterintuitive, but praise God that it is true. Everywhere else you look to bring forward your weakness and your sin, uh, if you're going to talk about that at all and not just paper over it with some mirage, to do that is is failure. It, it, it is categorized as self-destructive. But, but with the gospel, in the gospel, to humble yourself is the only way that you will be exalted. To acknowledge your weakness and frailty and, and death is the only way that you will live and be made strong. So Jesus' authority, it doesn't just command humility. It makes humility possible. It makes humility desirable, in fact. Humility yields joy. Humility yields joy. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. And we often think of blessed as a sort of um, consolation, maybe. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, you'll be consoled. It'll be all right. Hey, you're, no, but you're blessed. No, but blessed, blessed, this, this, this word, it has much more to do with happiness and joy than it does just merely acceptable conditions, right? We read that and we think, oh, you're meek, isn't that a shame, but you'll be blessed? No, Jesus is saying, it, happy is the man, joyful is the woman who is meek. There is, there is freedom, there is joy, there is gladness, there is happiness when we humble ourselves before the Lord, acknowledge our sin, and allow Jesus' authority 
to intervene. Because Jesus has divine authority, we should be humble. Because Jesus has divine authority, we should also then be competent, which may seem contradictory, maybe. How can you be both humble and confident? Well, the the humility has to do with us. The confidence, though, has to do with Christ. We're confident in him. We're confident in his work and his authority. We've all sat under misused or misplaced authority, right? We've, We've experienced it. It's something that you've dealt with in your own life. But you can have confidence in Jesus. You can have confidence in Christ. Jesus, he hails the centurion's reaction. This reaction of the centurion is, is pretty bold for a Gentile, for, for him to even come before Jesus. That's a, that's a bold move, but it's audacious for him to, to say to Jesus, you shouldn't even come to my home. He acknowledges, I have no business with you being a guest in my house. What's even more audacious about it, though, is you would think Jesus would really need to be there, but the centurion knows, he's confident that Jesus has all the authority he needs to do whatever he pleases from any distance away. He's confident in who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And Jesus acknowledges that the centurion, therefore, has a better understanding of who Jesus is than even the sons of the kingdom sitting right there. The centurion seems to know Jesus better than anyone else around. This, this story, maybe you hopefully realize this by now, this, this is so much bigger than a healed uh, paralytic, than, uh, than, than, than suffering that has been uh, wiped away. This, this story, this is a glimpse of Christ's authority over, over all of the results of the fall, over sin and death itself. This story gives us a glimpse of things to come, just like we read earlier in Revelation about the great hope that we have. This isn't a mirage. It's not a dream. We can live confidently knowing that this is the reality we will one day witness, that Jesus' reign and rule will just be more clearly seen then. Right now, we have confidence. And according to Jesus, this kind of faith, the faith that this centurion demonstrates is the kind of faith that distinguishes citizens of the heavenly kingdom. This kind of faith says, yes, I know who I am. I acknowledge who I am. But I also know who you are, Jesus. I know who I am, but and I know who you are. See, that's what I'm talking about. We, we, we know who Jesus is, and this outweighs the, the weakness, the sin of our own hearts. Jesus' authority, in fact, is the very foundation of our salvation. Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 18. Listen to what Jesus says regarding his crucifixion, regarding his death and the purposes for which he has died. He says, no one takes my life from me. Nobody takes my life from me. This isn't something I've been forced to do. This isn't something that I am powerless to to fight against. He says, instead, I lay it down of my own accord. Listen to this. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. 
Jesus laid down his life with authority to atone for our sin with authority. There, there is nothing then that, that, that he will withhold from those who love him. There, there is not a shred of this work of his that has been left unaccomplished, undone. When he laid down his life deliberately with authority, you know he absolutely accomplished what he set forward to do, which is to save people who have no authority, no power over their own sin. He died in their place that they might live because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, we should be humble. We can be humble and we can be confident and we can come before him with everything, with every shred of our weakness and sin because he can and at the cross has dealt with it. This new year is a good excuse to think about your past, maybe, to think about your future. Um, 2020 is an election year. Sorry I had to remind you. Whose authority is going to matter most in your life? Is it, is it, is, you will have plenty of opportunities to justify your own self-reliance. You'll have plenty of opportunities to minimize and to paper over your weakness and sin, you'll have many opportunities to put your hope in the authority of men and women who do not have the authority that Jesus alone has. Put your hope, put your confidence in Christ. Acknowledge your neediness and cling to Christ instead. That is how citizens of his kingdom live. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder, the simple truth that you have, that your son has all authority in heaven and on earth to do exactly as he pleases. And we rejoice that it pleased your son that he would die in our place, that he would lay down his life willingly so that we Weak and frail and sinful and broken. We were dead in our sins. You gave us life with authority. Lord, would you, would you make us humble? Would you give us the freedom to be able to acknowledge our sin before you, to come before you, to come before others and confess who we are, who we have been, what we've done, knowing that you have all power and in heaven and on earth to atone for the very same things to redeem us and restore us and make us like your son. Would you do that for us as we wrap up this year, as we look forward to the next? Would you instill in us a freedom that only the people of God can have, a confidence that only the people of God can have, that despite our sin, you are mighty to save? And would that pervade every area of our lives? that we would yield to your authority in all things like the centurion did, and that we would do it with humility and confidence. We ask that, and we ask that you would be with us as we sing your praise now. In the name of Jesus, amen.